Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I'll be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, how are we doing? Doing great. You know, it's uh, the most wonderful time of the year. It is the Christmas season. My nutcrackers are out. Got a Christmas tree up, totally decorated, and uh, bring on the eggnog. How about you? Yeah, um, it's also soon to be the other best time of the year, bowl season. Yeah. I told you uh, the final Jeopardy category. There's also a regular category that was just college football bowl trivia on Jeopardy today, so... I like that. Nothing too hard since, you know, they're not, it's not sports jeopardy, but it's right. fun. Yeah, that is fun. Uh, you, have you gotten anything big for Quinn or Tessa for Christmas? I know Tessa's still a little too tiny, but. Yeah, nothing for Tessa, so I'm sure she'll get plenty of clothes and whatnot. Yeah. Um, nah, nothing really too big for Quinn. We went to go see Bluey Live last week on yeah. stage, so. That looked awesome. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. She was into it. Sweet. All right. Well, Caleb, let's go ahead. Let's jump into the let's jump into this show because we got a ton of news. And since you sent out the show notes, I've already gone in because we've had even more news drop today. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, but let's start with the most exciting piece of news from the week. The Rose Bowl signed a deal with college football playoffs, and it is allowing for the twelve team playoff effective. 2024 that's pretty awesome yep so one more season of the four team playoff after this one then it'll be two years uh, where we know that the new year six bowls they will rotate between quarterfinal and semifinal hosts because those are their six games between those two rounds so that's pretty easy and then from there we'll see we'll see if it sticks like that where the six new year six bowls stay as quarterfinal and semifinal host sites or there's been a little bit of a push more recently to have the teams that got that first round by and host the, the quarterfinal round to have a home game as their first playoff game so we'll see if that comes to fruition or if there's too much uh, pressure from team uh, bowl sites like the rose bowl and the orange bowl to have a quality playoff game every season yeah i love that too i mean i would it would be great if we could find some way to celebrate New Year's Six Bowls again and make them feel more meaningful mm-hmm. and potentially move them even outside of the playoffs and give those to different teams that maybe aren't in the top 12 but still had like a special place. That way we could get more celebration of college football. But ever since Christian McCaffrey like ruined the sport by starting the mm-hmm. opt-out trend, just feels like that'll never happen. So. Nope. Uh, got a lot of news in terms of coaching changes. Minnesota head coach uh, PJ Fleck has been not hired, but has had a seven-year extension put onto his contract. Seems like a great move. You know, Minnesota up until the end, they were looking like they could have been playing uh, for the Big Ten title. And you know, he's a he's a good coach, recruits well, so smart move. You think? Yeah, and I like the Kelly Akmanis kid at quarterback. I think he'll be good for Minnesota as he grows there for the next couple of seasons. I agree. The biggest splash hire, though, has to be Colorado hiring Jackson State head coach Deion Sanders. I mean, Caleb, you surprised about this? Colorado, for a long time this season, whenever you're looking at bottom 25 polls, Colorado was usually the bottom of the bottom 25. 
Yeah, they went 1-11 this season, so they got really nothing to lose, I think, in this situation. Either Dion comes in, he's great, he gets them into relevance for a couple of seasons. I wouldn't... I know Colorado's yeah. a power I'm more interested, are you, do you, like, are you surprised that Dion went to Colorado? Not are you surprised yeah. Colorado hired him? A little bit. I mean, he's been talking up, trying to build back up the HBCU colleges and universities down there, but money talks, so when you're getting offered top-of-the-line Pac-12 uh, coach money it's gonna and you know you're gonna you want to take that step up even if you want to kind of rebuild the hbcus like you wanted to you still want to progress in your career and he's done a great job down there and i'm sure he'll do a good job at colorado and then who knows maybe he'll be taking over for nick saban at alabama when nick saban yeah players. maybe one of my uh colleagues her daughter is a cheerleader at colorado and so when um this news happened she posted it on facebook and then i talked to her at work uh at the start of the week. And she's like, yeah, we're not really even sure if we're going to be able to get tickets now with, uh, with Dion there, mm-hmm. but you know, it'll, it'll take some time to turn around. Dion is still expected to coach in the celebrations bowl, which is nice. Um, I do want to bring up something though, that I found very distasteful and I am curious on your thoughts. Cause I don't think you and I talked about this over the weekend, Caleb, whenever Dion meets with the players on the current Colorado roster, what he says to them is to tell them to start checking the transfer portal because he's already bringing his own guys in. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like that kind of arrogance. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a fan of what that says about the culture that he's bringing in. It's just, it, it did not sit well with me. So I'm curious on your thoughts with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is always like the weird time of the year for when you're bringing in a new coach, you have to recruit your own guys. Cause you got to bring in, 20 guys at least usually is a recruiting cycle. Then when a coach leaves, there's going to be guys transferring out. So in your, in your first year, you could be bringing in half a new roster of players. So I understand he wants to be able to be ready to bring in all these new players. Sure. But at the same time, yeah, you got to respect the guys that are already there and are going to want to stick through it because they love Colorado for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, find a find a more tasteful way to suggest that some of these players will probably not be starting than just saying, Oh, you better check the transfer portal. How about like a little thank you for sticking with the program and Mm -hmm. seeing what the future is going to have and making sure the best players play or or something like that. I don't know. Colorado is hiring Kent state head coach, Sean Lewis as the offensive coordinator Sanders and Lewis, correct me if I'm wrong. They have a pretty long connection or pretty strong connection at the very least too. So uh, this is another big grab for them. Yeah, it just goes to show how powerful it is that someone would leave. I know it's a group of five head coaching job, but you would leave a head coaching job for an offensive coaching or offensive coordinator gig. So, Now, Caleb, who is like our most famous Kent State alumni? Do you remember? Um, You have to remind me. Our college president, Kim Phipps. Yes. From Messiah College, now Messiah University, a Kent State grad. So always uh, keeping Kent State in the – in the eyeline just to see uh, what Kimmy P schools up to. And uh, yep. looks like they'll be looking around the old coaches carousel. Uh, let's jump down into Virginia. Liberty is hiring coastal Carolina's head coach, Jamie Chadwell. Uh, as we know, their current coach, well, their ex coach, Hugh freeze got the job at Ole Miss. So they needed somebody. So they get another up and coming coach, coastal Carolina's Jamie Chadwell. I love this hire for Liberty. I wasn't sure who exactly they were going to target, but uh, this is a good hire for them. Coastal Carolina then hires NC State's offensive coordinator, Tim Beck. So both schools seem to have gotten good head coaches for their needs. 
Yeah, it seemed like Jamie Chadwell, with how good Coastal Carolina has been the past three seasons, was in on some of the bigger jobs. Yeah. So good for Liberty to get Jamie Chadwell, but I'm sure if he does well in the next two to three seasons, he'll be on his way to a Power 5 job as well. Yeah, and you know, I, I've got to think Liberty gives you that potential to still have that mm-hmm. talent. What was it, two years ago, Liberty was ranked, and you know they, they're they able to recruit this season, talent. They They've were got in the, the money. AP. Yep, they got the money, which is nice. They're independent for now, but I think they're joining a conference either this upcoming season or the season after that. So you still can get a chance to win a conference championship game. So we could have, if everything works out well, Virginia could have three or four teams ranked next year. We'll see. Uh, Cincinnati is hiring Louisville's head coach, Scott Satterfield, which this is like the craziest thing on earth. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati and Louisville playing in the Fenway Bowl December 17th. So Scott Satterfield is lo- is leaving Louisville to coach against Louisville in the bowl game. That's crazy, man. Yeah, and he's bringing some coaches with him that already said they're not going to coach in that game as well. Yeah, I wonder who's going to really be left in this game because I'm sure he's going to try to bring over some of his players also yeah. in the transfer portal. So I wonder if it's just going to be a bunch of third stringers and, you know, like the tight ends coach coaching these yeah. games. This is going to be like a throwaway bowl. I'm going to watch it just from the, just for the like human interest story behind mm-hmm. it, but that's about it. Louisville has gotten a great hire. They grab Purdue's head coach, Jeff Brom. Jeff Brom is an alumni of Louisville, so he's going home. Uh, love to see those hires in college football. Yep. Uh, I guess good thing Purdue got to the Big Ten championship game right before Jeff Brown left. I guess so. And, you know, Purdue is now going to be looking for uh, a head coach. And I think I have this written down somewhere else in the notes, but I'll bring it up here. Some rumors out there right now is that Narduzzi is hanging out in West Lafayette as we speak and is interacting with some boosters. So it looks like Pitt could be losing their head coach because Pat Narduzzi is going to go to Purdue. And the carousel just keeps churning. I love it, Caleb. Yep, so so much news. I, we were we almost recorded on Monday, and this was only maybe like seventy five percent as long as it is now. But news keeps pouring in each and every day. Yeah, maybe it was good that uh, <laughs> that things were happening in my world. Mm-hmm. Uh, USF hires Tennessee offensive coordinator Alex Golish. Wisconsin hires UNC's offensive coordinator Phil Longo. Between those two hires, I love Wisconsin's especially Phil Longo. I saw somebody tweet this out and and i can definitely understand this longo is the one that made Derek may the superstar that he is at unc right now this is a strong strong hire for a wisconsin offense that up to this point has struggled longo and fickle have a strong relationship so uh, seeing the two of them work together in tandem bodes well for the badgers this upcoming season yeah there are some rumors drake may would join the transfer portal but he announced just a few minutes ago, I believe that yep, he's returning to UNC for his sophomore season. Yeah, Drake May, thanks for catching that. Uh, FAU hires former Texas head coach Tom Herman. Fine hire. It's like the trend for FAU, I guess, right? Just hire yep. former coaches that yeah, got I mean, fired. Tom Herman's had success uh, in Group of Five before, so wouldn't be surprised, me at least, if he has success at FAU. Yeah. Texas State. So. Talk to me about this one. Texas State hires Incarnate Word head coach G.J. Kinney. Kin? Yeah, whenever you're, it's not like the usual A.J. or C.J., it's like you really got to think about it when it's G.J. Like, 
Yeah. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Yeah. Or Incarnate Wood is a D2 school, I believe. So I think they've had some success down at that level, but who knows? We'll see, I guess. I guess so. I mean, I, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> That's what we'll say. Tulsa is grabbing an Ohio State coach. They are expected to hire offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson as their head coach. And this isn't something where it's like, oh, like he might pull out. This is basically just like uh, we're waiting for that announcement to be formal. Kevin mm-hmm. Wilson, as from every report I have heard, is out. So uh, he is he is all in on Tulsa. That's a huge hire for them to be able to bring him in. He. Kevin Wilson's coordinated some pretty incredible offenses. And so getting him in at Tulsa got to be good for recruiting, got to be good for offensive coaching. Tulsa's had some really good defensive players come into the NFL. Let's see if they can get some offensive players there now too. Yeah. And uh, just look, uh, Luke Fickle, a former Ohio state coordinator. That's obviously done very well for himself. Yeah. It's a good coach. I mean, I guess it's not a coaching tree because from the school, it's a good, uh, I, don't know. Yeah, I guess Fickle's more on the. Is he on the? He's the, a trestle. Urban, trestle or urban, tree? yeah. Or urban, yeah. Yeah, what was it? Or was it? Probably who, urban, because he coached the year urban was like suspended. I think. Yeah, that's what it was. I was trying to remember which one was he. Which which suspended coach did he coach for? But yeah, it was urban. Uh, North Texas has fired head coach Seth Luttrell. Seth Luttrell went forty four and forty four in seven seasons. I mean. North Texas won't accept average. They want the best, Caleb. <laughs> now, it's just a little surprising since they just made it to the conference championship game this past weekend. So, yeah. I wonder. I mean, if you, if he, would he, if he had won, would they have kept him? It seems just a little peculiar. I mean, maybe, but yeah, yikes. Um, you know what, Caleb? I'm going like back through, and I'm trying mainly out of like curiosity because I was trying to remember when Luke Fickle was the head coach of Ohio State because I and yeah. I'm is just getting the year where Ohio State they went on was yeah was ineligible Penn State was ineligible and like third place Wisconsin won the conference or something like that yeah you know what, that makes back me in think, the leaders and legends divisions yeah you know it was 2011 he had to have take, taken over for Trestle at that point okay. so that's some, that's some that's some good stuff there he's probably the most successful Ohio State coach who was an assistant that's currently in college ball but Mm -hmm. uh, good on him moving down even further we already talked about pat narduzzi so we'll skip him jim leonard is going to coach in the bowl game then he's going to leave wisconsin but he's not actually going to leave wisconsin because as of right now it sounds like the green bay packers are really interested in making him their next defensive coordinator. Green Bay Packers and the NFL have really struggled, and they're going to, I am sure, we are going to see some changes in the coaching staff in the offseason. And Jim Leonard seems like a good one to bring in. Yeah, definitely. I understand why he wants to leave. He had the interim tag and then got passed over for Luke Fickle. So, understandable why he would leave. And yeah, I'm sure not only the Packers, but many NFL teams and colleges will be of interest for him. But yeah, the Packers were supposed to have a good defense this year, have not had that. So maybe J.J. Watt will come up and join him. Maybe. (laughs) All right, so that's the coaching carousel. It is constantly moving. I am sure that by the time we get this podcast out, there will probably be like five or six more changes. But that's the exciting thing about college football. Let's go ahead. Let's look at players now. We got two big players that are going to 
be out and done for the year versus Michigan running back Blake Quorum. He is done for the season with his knee injury. Uh, should be good to go next year, but for now, done. Jackson Smith and Jigba never really got his foot on the gas this season. I think he only played in two or three games. He said that he is like opting out. He's not playing in the playoffs, and that's caused some people to say, like, oh, even the playoffs aren't safe. But again, remember, he, not like he played this season in general anyway. So, um, Yeah, Todd McShay catching some heat because he said he's heard Smith and Jigba is healthy enough to play and he's opting out. But every other report is that Smith and Jigba is definitely way too hurt to play right now and would not be healthy enough to play in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think Ohio State's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. With that. Like they, they're so deep. Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka. They got some great other guys. Yeah, they'll be all right. Bit of college football news that in the wake of tragedy, it's like it doesn't fix things, but it is a nice gesture. The NCAA is going to be giving the University of Virginia's players, all of them, uh, an extra year of eligibility. You know, that's a that's a nice gesture from the NCAA in the wake, like I said, in the wake of the tragedy. Of yeah, the you show. never want to finish your, especially your senior season, like this. So yeah. if you want to come back for another season, uh, I'm sure that's good for them. Yeah, it's uh, like we keep saying too. You know, it's a it's a tragedy what happens. So our thoughts continue to be with them, and yeah, it's still crazy. Uh, in other news, Washington Huskies quarterback Michael Penix Jr., formerly of Indiana, is returning for one more year in college. Play ball. He's sticking with Washington, Caleb. This is a good. This has got to be a great thing for Washington to keep him on, keep him in the system one more year. Yeah, definitely. Apparently, they were at like their final team dinner, end of season team dinner, and they played the video of him returning for the for his final season, and everyone oh, was cool. shocked, shocked and surprised, and obviously in good spirits. Yeah, because as we all know, Michael Penix Jr. was going to be like the first overall pick, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he had a great season for Washington. Right? I mean, yeah, that's true. He did have a good. I don't want to. I, I guess I shouldn't be too harsh on him. He was pretty good. Uh, but, you know, not everybody's sticking with their schools. So far, we have had 1,000 players enter the transfer portal plus. Mm-hmm. I, Caleb, like, I, I understand the transfer portal. I think that it definitely has great merit. But I hate that the transfer portal is turning college football, is turning this into, like, a free agency period. It's just, like, what happened to, like, the commitment being commitments and, like, sticking with something and, and seeing it through. I I mean, I'm, I'm sure somebody out there is like, all right, Boomer, but let's just call me old-fashioned. I just, I'm like, unless there's something, like, significant, stay where you're at. Like, see it through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can get it for, for some guys. Like Austin Reed out of Western Kentucky. It's his graduate. He's a graduate sure. transfer. You sure. I know he transferred into Western Kentucky, but he did his time. Now he's looking to see if he can increase his opportunity. He's seen the success some Western Kentucky quarterbacks have had in the NFL. See if he can make a name for himself and get drafted. Other guys like JT Daniels. He's going to his fourth school next year, assuming right. he transfers again. Is he even going to graduate with a degree too? Yeah, That's my like, like like it's if you're a student athlete, if these guys are going to four or five different schools, transfer mm-hmm. credits and, and the way the transfer work. Are they going to get a bachelor's after this? Yeah, I don't even know. So someone put it out. I forget. One of the big college football pundits put it perfectly. It's like maybe the school's not the problem. 
with regards to JT Daniels. Yeah, maybe. But, uh, you know, you said JT Daniels, who is entering the portal. I know that at West Virginia, uh, as far as I, as I'm aware from talking to alumni and stuff, there's no hard feelings with him leaving. You know, he's just mm-hmm. not the guy for that offensive system. We've got a few other people leaving. Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine. That one surprised me a little bit because of how much he had been contributing this year. Wisconsin quarterback Graham Mertz. Caleb, where where does a quarterback like Graham Mertz transfer to? Yeah, I don't even know. I feel like uh, yeah, Graham Mertz, DJ Uyunglele, some of these guys like have to take a step down because if you're not good with your program for so many years, like I don't know why why some of these schools would take a chance on you. Yeah, you know, you just said the biggest name, Clemson quarterback DJ Uyunglele, has announced his transfer. I I think were you. Were you the one or somebody else I was talking to was mentioning that he's from, yeah, it was you mentioned that he was from California. So maybe one of the schools out there, but even then, like, I don't think you, I, I don't think USC would want him. I don't think UCLA would want him. Maybe a school like Wyoming or Idaho, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I thought not, maybe like Washington if Penix left, obviously Penix is returning. Maybe Bo Nixley is maybe Oregon will take him on. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't think he fits the Washington state offense. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, uh, Washington, the Pac-12 had a great year for transfer quarterbacks. That's why I was just thinking maybe yeah. see if someone could recreate that magic. Yeah. NC State quarterback Devin Leary, who for most of the season people thought, or coming into the season, most people thought this is a guy, he's going to be a like top five sort of pick. He's either the number one or the number two most talented quarterback in the class. Mm-hmm. But the tape don't lie, man. And so uh, he's looking to build his resume back up. And so we'll see what what's in store for him. UVA's quarterback Brennan Armstrong is transferring. That one surprised me a little bit. I Brennan Armstrong's a quarterback that's similar to Sean Clifford. I thought like he's already been there forever, but clearly, you know, going to have that opportunity to transfer and play more. Pitt quarterback Keaton Slovis is. And this is another one of those players where they go, he started at USC, now at Pitt, now going to be somewhere else. You know, somebody used this in a tweet, too, talks about how, like, 80 90% of college athletes go pro in something besides their sport. We saw those commercials all the time in, like, the 2010s. Most of these players that are doing this constant transfer, like, I, I just think about their futures and think, like, a Keaton Slovis, you know, he might get enough NIL money to to be okay and be able to get a degree. Some of these players are going to keep transferring, trying to follow coaches and stuff, and they're going to use up all their eligibility. They're going to run out of money, and they're not going to be able to get a degree, and they're going to, like, sink into financial debt. That's probably me thinking worst-case scenario, but, you know, like, we want these kids to be successful. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, one that makes me a little sad is leaving Oklahoma State quarterback Spencer Sanders. I mean, he struggled this year, no doubt yeah. about it, in the second half of the season. But uh, hopefully he can find success somewhere. You know, Caleb, you know where Spencer Sanders would be awesome? Where? Western Kentucky. Yeah. You think he about his arm be. strength. You think yeah. about, like, his playmaking ability. He screams Hilltopper to me, which is good because Austin Reed's transferring too. But mm-hmm. Yeah. thing I've noticed – a lot of ACC quarterbacks, Clemson, NC State, Virginia, Pitt, Boston College, Phil Yurkovich, he already announced that he's transferring to Pitt. So, it's because the ACC of... is terrible. Yep. 
Yeah, Jerkovic, he's another graduate transfer, so that's why he's already made his decision. He was in the transfer portal before to officially open the graduate transfers. We're allowed to do that, apparently. Yeah, so we know where he's going. We also know where Michigan quarterback Cade McNamara is going. He is transferring to Iowa. A very exciting hire for Iowa or uh, signing for Iowa as their offense is probably ready to double their offensive production in terms of points with him at the helm. Yeah, it didn't really matter who was quarterback this year. So I don't know. Cade McNamara is not some spectacular upgrade, but he is. But they still need better offensive weapons around him as well. Hey, three and points to six or, ain't nothing to sneeze at, right? Get a better OC. Yeah. Uh, Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson, Kentucky quarterback Will Levis, both have announced that they are entering the NFL draft and are foregoing their bowl games. And so uh, we'll see. I saw somebody ask, I think it was PFF ask, you know, Anthony Richardson should be drafted in blank spot. I. I like nowhere round at the earliest. He has to say nowhere in the first round. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't touch him in the second round either. He's yeah. like a Malik Willis sort of talent, I think. Yeah, I think he's a little bit bigger, stronger guy. So maybe. I guess in terms of like raw potentials, what I'm yeah. thinking, like mm-hmm. he's going to need a lot of coaching. Yep. Same with Will Lewis. I think both those guys need to sit for at least probably two years in the NFL before they're uh, even potentially starting caliber. Yeah, that being said, I also read that Dave Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, apparently really likes Will Levis, so maybe the Panthers will continue in terrible decisions, and they'll grab Will Levis in the first round with their pick and mess things up for the franchise more, but we will see. Yep, yep, nothing like the Panthers wasting money in draft picks on bad quarterbacks. Uh-huh, and then cutting them after a week, what is this, week 12? Week 13. 13, yeah. Week 13 in the NFL. Yep. Something like that. Yeah, now the Rams, if the Ram, if Baker Mayfield goes and signs a decent uh, contract elsewhere, the Rams will get the compensation pick, I believe. Yeah, QB of the future for you. <laughs> yep. Final college football playoff rankings came out. We got number one, Georgia, number two, Michigan, number three, TCU, number four, Ohio State. Caleb, I'm really glad TCU didn't fall out. Yep. Yeah, and – It's just like there was no argument for Alabama over TCU, which would have been the the team TCU would have fallen out for. Fewer losses for TCU. They had to play an extra game because Alabama didn't make their conference championship game. Played more ranked opponents. They both played Texas. Texas, arguably Alabama's best win. TCU beat them by way more than uh, Alabama did. So there was really no argument for Alabama over TCU in the end. The only argument I could have seen for Ohio State over TCU is just for ratings to have Ohio State Michigan play in the semifinals. Yeah, it was interesting to me before whenever they said that they were prioritizing playing in conference championships over mm-hmm. not playing in them for the decision. Meanwhile, I just think back to the last group of playoff committee people whenever they left Penn State out. Yep. I'm not so uh, this is the second straight season where we've had an unranked team make the playoffs, that being TCU, which is, again, Sonny Dykes is doing awesome things with this program. Can't say enough about how well he's been coaching the team. Michigan yeah, was – Contract extension as well. We didn't mention it earlier, but he – Oh, yeah. Did, did you catch the years on that? Was that a five-year extension? Yeah, I don't know. I, they're all made up in college football. So. Yeah, that's true. They'll just buy them out if they don't like it, right? Exactly. 
Uh, this is the second story. We already wrote this one down. Michigan was the first team to ever go from unranked to making it to the playoffs, and they did that last year after it had never happened for the first seven seasons. So it sounds like the rankings are uh, going through some tune-ups. This is also going to be the first time that two teams from the same division of a conference made the playoffs, and it is also the first time that two Big Ten teams have made the playoffs with Michigan and Ohio State making it in. And so uh, yep. we got some fun matchups, Georgia versus Ohio State. That'll be a fun one to watch. Michigan versus TCU should be a great duel. Mm-hmm. I, I'm excited about the playoffs this year. Yep, I think Georgia's still the favorite because they're the number one team, Have obviously. But, you know, Ohio State is – there's not many teams as talented as Georgia and Ohio State's one of them. So uh-huh. we could go, we could see, they could easily do what Michigan did to Ohio State a couple of weeks ago, just ground and pound them to death and Ohio State not being tough enough in the trenches. Or we could see Ohio State, their offense finally click against a good team and score a bunch of points and upset Georgia, I think. Tell me though, how awesome would it be if we could see like a Michigan versus Ohio State national championship? Yeah, ratings uh, bonanza, cool for the Big Ten. The, if Michigan I mean, won, you root for though. That's the only thing. It's like two of your biggest rivals. Yeah, I would. I would root for Michigan in the matchup because I love Jim Harbaugh. Probably. But um, my question, and this is like total hypothetical because I am assuming it won't happen. But like, if Michigan were to face Ohio State in the champion. Chip and Michigan want would Ohio State then fire Ryan Day after all these like rumors of he can't win the game? I don't know. What if it's just, yeah, just another beat down like forty nine to ten or something? Yeah, just something fun to think about, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be rooting for TCU. Yeah, that'll be a fun one to root for for sure. I have a I have a friend his his wife. Well, I guess she's my friend too. Uh, went to TCU, so be pulling for him as well. Go Horn Frogs. Let's go ahead and go to the Heisman. Uh, folks that listen to the show know I'm not like the biggest fan of the Heisman Award anymore since, uh, and we'll talk about it why, why more in, in a little bit, but they have announced their finalists, Caleb Williams, quarterback USC, CJ Stroud, quarterback Ohio State, Max Duggan, quarterback TCU, Stetson Bennett, quarterback Georgia. Caleb? What do you think of these top four? Caleb Williams, great pick. Max Duggan, great pick. C.J. Stroud, okay, I think I would have taken, if you're taking one from the Big Ten, I think I would have taken Blake Corum over C.J. Stroud. Stetson Bennett, yeah. He, if if you look at the all-SEC conference uh, players for this season, Stetson Bennett was second team all-SEC quarterback. You know his first team all-SEC quarterback? The guy they left off, Hendon Hooker who I think still had a better season despite missing the past couple games. And this is why I don't love the Heisman rankings. You know, whenever Saquon Barkley had his crazy season, he was not even considered a finalist, which seemed ridiculous to me. Stetson Bennett, like, it's it's tough. I had said to somebody earlier, like, like I don't know, I might give the Heisman to, to Bennett because all he does is win. And, and he had so many doubters from day one, and it just felt like coaches were constantly trying to – get a replacement in there like they're mm-hmm. trying to get justin fields in there more yeah. but then stetson bennett JT just daniels playing up yeah jt daniels but stetson bennett you know it's just... <sighs> great career for stetson yeah, not justin fields jt daniels mm-hmm. it's just like he's a winner but he's not like the most talented quarterback 
Nope. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if the coaches think he wasn't the best quarterback in his own conference, um, Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle, is a better player on his team. Brock Bowers is probably a better player there at the tight end for Georgia. I don't know. The other fun fact I saw was uh, Stetson Bennett and Lamar Jackson were born the same year. Lamar Jackson won the Heisman six years ago. Holy cow. That's crazy. I Between these four, I really like Max Duggan. Mm-hmm. Watching him play, I think he has elite arm talent. If you just – and you can't do this in football, but if you could have just taken the first half from the championship game – I mean, I was – you got my text. Like, I was ready to just, like, totally sign Max Duggan off for, like, the first overall pick in the draft, thinking he – and I still think he is a very special talent. Yeah, I don't know who I like more, though, because Caleb Williams is an electrifying player. I definitely, you know, with more time to think about it, no Stetson Bennett, no C.J. Stroud. I think this is a Williams-Duggan race, or it should be that. I'm, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. Stroud will probably come in second, but – I can see Duggan getting second, but well, you never know what their people have their priors. You know what they think of the player before the season even starts. So, yeah. yeah the last thing about Stenson Bennett, he's a better player than Sean Clifford. But compare his stats to Sean Clifford; they're pretty similar. Yeah, both about twenty touchdown passes, both you know seven to ten rushing touchdowns. It's they're not too dissimilar from each other. Mm-hmm. And Sean Clifford probably didn't even get, what did they go down to? Fifth place. He probably didn't even get a fifth place vote on the Heisman ballot this year. Nor should he have. No. Uh, <laughs> should not have. Yeah, I think I'll be rooting for, yeah, I think I'll be rooting for Caleb Williams to, or if I were to like put money on this, which I don't do, but I'd probably put some money on Caleb Williams winning the Heisman. But Max Duggan, he's special. I like him. Mm-hmm. I like him a lot. All right. Well, hey, you know, Caleb, we keep on talking about like the games that happened this weekend. So let's go ahead. Let's jump right into them. Let's uh, let's rewind. We'll start with the game that mattered the most this weekend. Friday night, number 11, Utah ends number four, USC's playoff hopes, 47-24. And if you just watched the first quarter, you assumed USC was going to run away with this because they're up 17-3. Caleb Williams was looking great. Then he popped his hamstring, I think is what Coach Riley said. And from there on, Utah dominated, and they won 47-24. Even that score is a little misleading because it was like 34-24 with just a couple minutes to go, and then yeah. the interception and a couple late touchdowns. So Utah, second straight year, they they hand the Pac-12, the higher-ranked team in the Pac-12, their second loss of the season, both to Utah. So Utah beat Oregon twice last year, beat USC twice this season. Yeah, and now if you were to watch the broadcast, though, and have it on mute, you probably would have just assumed that the Caleb Williams injury was related to his hand, where it was bleeding pretty bad, and they kept on zooming in on Caleb Williams' backside to try to get the hand, but all you saw was, like, blood all over the back of his pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a warrior in this game. You know, that's uh, I don't generally like calling football players warriors, but, I mean, he was playing the part to it. He looked while he was healthy and upright. He looked phenomenal. He was completing passes, making plays where he was getting outside the pocket. He looked confident inside the pocket, stepping up, making throws, scrambling where he needed to. So, like he's a he's a special talent. Lincoln Riley uh, clearly knew what he was doing whenever he recruited him. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Speaking of Warriors, I think Max Duggan was a Warrior this weekend. Uh, they, TCU loses to Kansas State in overtime, 31-28. There's this one drive in particular. Started at the 20-yard line, so you only have 80 yards to go for a touchdown. They scored a touchdown. Max Duggan had 95 rushing yards on this drive because of penalties, backing them up. They had a one pass, I think, for negative yards. He was uh, dead tired at the end of this drive, and yet he still went out and threw the game-tying two-point conversion to force overtime. In that overtime, I promise you TCU scored on this play. Oh, totally. First, they got uh, screwed over on the play before that. Duggan dove for the end zone just short. They put it at the one-yard line when he was at like, the two-inch yard line. So when the next play, when the guy did score, he would have easily scored even more. But they didn't give him the touchdown for whatever reason. And then credit Kansas State for getting the stop on fourth down. But uh, this game... Kansas State should have had to at least score a touchdown in overtime to force a second overtime, in my opinion. Yeah, you got to think that's probably something the committee took into consideration as well. Was like this was not a, a great circumstance that that happened. It was it was awful that it felt like TCU was robbed here. I mean, we don't know what would have happened. We assume that it pr- would have either ended at the end of first overtime or would have gone into second there, which is you know, the way that it works, but uh, it should have been TCU's game to lose. Instead, it was Kansas State's game to win, if you if you catch my drift there. Yeah. I There has to be a better way. We're in 2022. We have no better technology to tell us when a ball crosses a goal line mm-hmm. and timing it, like, sensors something we know college football isn't lacking for money so yep yeah i wonder if the college is the one that's gonna have to do it before the nfl the nfl seems stuck in their ways their archaic ways so i wonder if someone instead of you know building a new locker room that's three years old maybe someone can they can invest in some goal line technology like they have in soccer or something yeah and like i don't want to I don't want to like lose the human element of the game, but mm-hmm. some of these calls, like jumping over a pile where there are 22 bodies right there, it would be nice to know if a ball actually crossed the line, yeah. which I, like you think, I think it totally did. Mm-hmm. Next game, number one, Georgia beats number 14, LSU, 50 to 30. Stetson Bennett had four touchdown passes all in the first half, so maybe should have... Put up some more numbers in the second half. Maybe then he would have got more highs of consideration too. Yeah, very slow start. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I thought Brian Kelly was very good in the second half, like with his players, even whenever they were totally out of this game, whenever they were making plays, you know, he looked joyful out there. He was celebrating with the players. And that's, that's another special thing about college football. Yes, like in that moment, you know, it sucks to lose. But you can also start to get a glimpse of what your future has in store for you. And the future for LSU looks really bright. Yep. And you got to celebrate these moments. You know, it's great that you make it in your first year as head coach of LSU to the SEC championship game. But Nick Saban's always lurking, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe Jimbo Fisher finally turns around next year. But (laughs) it's not like it's not easy to make SEC championship games or any conference championship games. Right. No no guarantee they're going to be there next year, even with the a new quarterback that they had that they were playing a lot in the second half. He looked pretty good. Yeah, he looked awesome. <laughs> Number two, Michigan wins their second straight Big Ten title. This time they defeat Purdue 43-22. to And it was basically every other Michigan game, the Ohio State game, the Penn State game, close 
in the first half and then Michigan just beat you down in the second half. They were talking about it on the broadcast and then like the first play of the second half, Donovan Edwards runs for 60 yards and they get a touchdown a couple plays later. It's it's crazy how they wear teams down into the second half. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's what a dominant run game gets you. Yeah, you, it takes a while to start, but once it gets cooking, you know, it's it's rolling and rolling. So it's like boiling water. Donovan Edwards, I mean, maybe Blake Quorum didn't get invited to the Heisman ceremony because of how good Donovan Edwards has been behind this line too. But, I mean, I think we can just accept the fact that Michigan had some phenomenal running backs in their backfield this year. And just think, like we had those two guys, or they had those two guys. They had Zach Charbonnet at another time. I mean, mm-hmm. Michigan is RBU. Yep, they're loaded right now. Finally, for the Power Five, we got Clemson beating North Carolina 39-10. to North Carolina was up early. Dabo went to his tried and true. Let's bench DJ Uyunglele, and this time it actually worked. Katie Klubnik looked great against Carolina's terrible defense. North Carolina has been one of the worst defensive teams all season long, and DJ could not uh, take advantage of that. Cade Clubman could, and he will be the starter next year. Yeah, I mean, Clemson starts the game with two three and outs. DJ Uengale was two for five for 10 yards. You put Cade Klubnik in, and the offense looked totally different. There was a huge spark. Klubnik was incredibly accurate, making big plays each time down the field, averaging over 10 yards of completion. That's great. Averaging over 10 yards an attempt, too. And like he only had two touchdowns, one rushing, one passing on the day. But the offense just felt different with him there. I, I, he looked, he looked much more like a, um, like a Bryant under Clemson than, like that's who he reminded me of than anybody else that Dabo has coached. And I mean, Dabo won a championship with Bryant at QB too. So big things in store for the for uh, Clemson, you think? Maybe they always talked up Clubnick like you, not quite the level of uh, Trevor Lawrence or even Deshaun Watson, I think, but he was supposed to be the next good, really good guy, even better than DJ coming into this year. And he never could take over, fully take over that starting job and uh, until the conference championship weekend, it seems. Yeah, I wonder how much of that too was Davo trying to like hold on to DJ and like keep his confidence going. But uh, yeah, it just never panned out. You know, it was, it was very telling when going into the half, Dabo was asked, and Dabo said, "No, this is this is Cade's team. We're going to keep rolling with it." And I was like, "Yeah, this is crazy." And then, sure enough, we see the news like a day and a half later that DJ was transferring. So, mm-hmm. good on Cade. You know, you win the job, and you really hold it tight with that. Yep. All right, moving on to the Group of Five, we got UTSA winning their second consecutive conference USA title, beating North Texas 48-27, getting the head coach fired, and returning their seventh-year quarterback, Frank Harris. Yeah, I am. I'm going to be very interested whenever Frank Harris is back for his seventh season to see how many records he's going to solidify in college football. Yeah, I think there was a guy, I forget where he was playing, a linebacker who was in his eighth season this year. So Yeah. We talked about them earlier this season. Yeah, so uh, see what you can do, Frank Harris. Try to return for 2024 as well. Let's do it, man. Bring it on. The AAC number 18 Tulane gets their revenge on number 22 UCF, 45-28. The difference this time was John Reese Plumley, the quarterback for UCF. He had 176 rushing yards when UCF won in the regular season. 
negative seven this past weekend in the conference championship game. Yeah, I mean, Tulane had a ton of offense, almost 650 yards. This is this is what you wanted to see here. You wanted to see Tulane learn from that first game. They clearly learned their lessons, and they were able to go in and score the big W there. So good job by Tulane on that win. I really like the running back for Tulane, Tajay Spears, 199 yards on 222 carries. He looked very explosive in the backfield. What is it with group of five running backs always looking so explosive? Because it's not like – it's. I mean, yeah, the talent isn't what it is in the power five, but that goes for the running backs too. But I mm-hmm. always feel like the running backs in the power five look so much more electric in yeah. power five and the group of five matchups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when we played Memphis, who was it was Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard they had at their running back position, something like that, and uh, yeah. slowed them down enough to beat Memphis that year. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. Toledo wins their 11th MAC championship over Ohio, who's still looking for their first 17 to seven low scoring game. Ohio had lost their quarterback before this game. So tough one for Ohio, the Bobcats. Yeah. Owen five in the MAC championship. That sucks. I will, I will be rooting hardcore for Ohio to get their first MAC title next year. Yep. Troy cruises to their Sunbelt Championship victory over Coastal Carolina, 45-26. It was 31-0 late in the second quarter. Grayson McCall was tough. He tried to play in this game and played pretty well, actually. He got a lot of uh, late uh, statistics there. I think two or three touchdown passes in this game, but too little, too late. Good season for the Troy Trojans, and they finished the season ranked. Yeah. I mean, we had both picked Coastal Carolina, and – we picked it pretty confidently, too, especially thinking that Grayson McCall was going to play. But uh, Troy, Lo- I was I was more surprised with how high scoring this game was with yep. Troy getting 45 points. I expected, if anything, this was going to be like a 17-13 type game. But holy yep. cow, have yourself a day, Troy. Yep. And finally, we got Fresno State beating Boise State to win the Mountain West 28-16. Jake Hayner, the quarterback for Fresno State, he missed the regular season matchup. He played in this one, and Fresno State won this one rather easily. Boise State was never really in contention here. Yeah, that was a bummer for me. I had uh, strong hopes for Boise State, but never really worked out. I forget, whatever happened to Hank Bachmeyer? He said he was entering the transfer portal, but since he wasn't a grad transfer, I guess he didn't officially enter until today, I think. Oh, okay, so he just wasn't. Yeah, which, uh, like, we talked about this earlier in the season. I like that there's a window now. It started on Monday, Mm -hmm. December 5th, I believe. They got 45 days, and then at the end of the spring semester in May, there's another 15 days for them to transfer as well. So I like that it's just restricted to these 60 days in the next few months instead of free-for-all, anyone going in whenever they want to. Me too. All right, you ready to talk Fenn State? Let's get to it. All right, let's look at some of the news happening around Penn State. First big piece of news, Joey Porter Jr. is going to go to the NFL draft to the surprise of uh, no one. He is opting out of the bowl game, which is unfortunate. But as far as I'm aware, and from what it sounds like, as far as the coaches are aware, that's it for opt-outs, so I'll take it. I mean... Yeah, I mean, most of our impact players are freshmen, so... Yeah, like, I don't love the Joey Porter Jr. Like, 
you know, I feel like it's quitting on their team. That being said, I wish Joey Porter Jr. a ton of success in the future. He's going to be a shutdown corner in the NFL. He's got some big, uh, big, big days ahead of him on Sundays. Yes, I think we talked when he, he gutted it out for a couple plays in right. the Michigan State season finale. So he wanted to play, but he's obviously looking forward to that big payday in the NFL. Yeah. And that's and I think that's why I'm not as upset about it because you know like I knew that he was. Since then, we also have some transfer announcements. Christian Veyu, quarterback, is announcing his transfer. Uh, Caleb, can I feel like we can't wish him any more than the absolute best for everything that yeah. he gave to the program during his time and how well he did serving as QB three whenever Drew Aller came in as a freshman. I mean. What a great team player! I hope that I hope he goes to a school and just is able to have a great college career. Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah. Obviously, when you're getting passed by a five-star recruiting Drew Aller, it makes sense. We got Bro Perbula still here as well. We got Smolik, the guy who is rising up the rankings fast coming in. So, um, you hate to lose depth, but I think Penn State should be fine at the quarterback position moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Defensive tackle uh, Rodney McGraw is transferring. Richard freshman defensive end Devon Townley Jr. announced today that he will be transferring. Uh, Cornerback Jeffrey Davis Jr. also entering the transfer portal. I've noticed, Caleb, that while we're losing a lot of defensive players, sounds like we've been targeting a lot of offensive players players specifically wide receivers in the transfer portal i know we've made at least one offer to a wide receiver who played high school ball at penn hills i forget mm. where he's playing college ball at right now is that the oregon it's, one there's we've there's made, that one but then there's one yeah. i think there's it's, another one from arizona or arizona state yeah i can't remember who yeah but um, the one from oregon um i think i feel like penn state was the runner-up for his mm-hmm for his recruiting coming out of high school. So that could obviously bode well for Penn State. Actually, wide receiver is an area of need, I think, I'm assuming. Mitchell Tinsley participated in senior day. He's gone, I would think. I guess Parker Washington would be too. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And as much as Keandre Lambert-Smith stepped up at the end of the year, bringing in someone new to help uh, at least take a 1A, 1B role with Keandre Lambert-Smith to start this season, I think would be very key as Trey Wallace and Amari Evans kind of build up into, into their potential. Yeah. One bit of news I, th- I thought was interesting was after looking at the transfer portal and looking at how like we've already lost some players from it, our 2021 recruiting class from Penn State, we only have 10 players left. Now, Caleb, as you pointed out, and, and you and I both felt this way too, the players that we've kept from that recruiting class are strong players like, you know, Landon Tangwell and, and others who are solid plays. contributors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we yeah. might be losing players, but it's because for the most part, a lot of the players we're losing, we have a ton of younger depth that has stepped up, which I think is a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you kind of expected the 21 recruiting class not to be good with the way the 2020 season ended. Right. But obviously that turned out to be more of the of just a blip on the radar. Look at Michigan. Michigan was kind of in the same place as us after the 2020 season. Obviously they've rebounded much better than us, but shows you that it, the 2020 season was just a weird season. Indiana was ranked. It was a weird year. 
Yeah, very strange. <laughs> uh, and with the end of the season, that means there are end of the season awards. And so we have our all Big Ten selections on offense. Second team, Alu Fashanu. I'm a little surprised he wasn't first team, but... Yeah, I wonder if he had stayed healthy and played the last few games. That's Maybe. kind of what I'm wondering, too, because... I, yeah, by all intents and purposes, he is the he or he was considered to be the top offensive tackle by at least Mel Kuyper and uh, and some other draft big boards. But still, congratulations there. Third team, Nicholas Singleton, great for him as a true freshman. Juice Scruggs and Bretton Strange. A little surprised Bretton Strange wasn't a second teamer, but you know, third ain't bad. Yeah, I think just too much spread. If we had just one tight end or even only two of the tight ends. I think both of them could have been uh, awarded. And if it was just one, I think you would be fighting for first team all Big Ten. Yeah, it's the punishment of the embarrassment of riches at tight end. Yeah. Honorable mentions, we had Sean Clifford, Parker Washington, Hunter Norzad, Sal Warmly, Bryce Efner, and Katron Allen. You know, Caleb, Sean Clifford didn't get first team. Yeah, what a surprise. Yeah. yeah but I if mean, you would have told me that what do we got here? Five offensive linemen had at least get honorable mention to start the season. And one of them wasn't Caden Wallace, who was arguably the most accomplished offensive lineman coming into the season, uh, neck and neck with Juice Scruggs there. So, um, again, just goes to show how great our offensive line improved during the season. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about how much this unit improved. Defense, we did have a first-teamer. Again, no surprise. Joey Porter Jr., I mean – I don't, I don't know the last time we saw a cornerback this good at Penn State. Amani Oruorie was really talented, but I mean he's nothing compared to Joey Porter Jr. in my opinion. So good first team pick there. Second team we had PJ Mustafer and Abdul Carter. I mean Abdul Carter already making his presence felt as a true freshman, just like Nick Singleton. Mm-hmm. We got great youth. Uh, third team we had Adisa Isaac, Jair Brown, and Kalen King. Honorable mentions, Chop Robinson, Curtis Jacobs, Nick Tarburton, and Johnny Dixon. So a lot of defensive recognitions there. And then on special teams, we had one uh, record, one recognition second teamer, Nicholas Singleton, for being a return specialist. And then Barney Amore and Jake Penninger, both honorable mentions. I'm surprised Penninger got an honorable mention, to be honest. Yeah, I forget if it was the media or the coaches that voted him honorable mention. And yeah, I have no clue what they were watching this season. They thought Jake Pinnegar was. Because honorable mention, I guess, means like fourth or fifth team. I don't even know if he was the fourth or fifth best quarter, uh, kicker in the conference. I mean, I guess he made those two 50-yard field goals, but still. Yeah, I was, I, but outside of those kicks, I don't even know if he is like a top seven kicker in the conference. But yeah. What do we know? Uh, Crystal, our long snapper, was named Penn State's Sportsmanship Award honoree. So, congrats to Crystal for that one. Yeah, that's one of those one nominee per team in the Big Ten Conference. So, congrats, Crystal. Yeah. Let's look at the season at re- in review too, Caleb, because we did have we had a lot of thoughts going into the year, and then this is a season where our expectations were definitely exceeded. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, obviously, we're bummed that we aren't playing for more because we know from what we, from the product we saw on the field, we know how much further we potentially could have gone. But how far we came is still something to be celebrated. It's been spectacular. You know, Sean Clifford, as much grief as we give him, credit where credit is due, 64% completion, 
percentage that is somewhere near his career high, 2,500 yards, 22 touchdowns plus five more. So 27 total touchdowns, seven interceptions. Did a pretty good job of cleaning some of those things up. Yeah, especially there in October, he had a first quarter interception problem, tuned that down the last couple of weeks. So I feel like, I mean, I guess every interception is a bad interception, but it just felt like at least five or six of those interceptions were really bad interceptions for Clifford, though, this year. And a lot of turnover-worthy plays as well. And so that's why, um, you know, it it gave a lot of calls for Drew Aller to go in. And, and Drew Aller, as a true freshman, looked great. He had a 59% completion percentage. 344 yards, four touchdowns. He got to play in nine different games, so obviously the red shirt is burned. But I am so glad that he got as much playing time as he did. So he's not coming in looking as raw as as like a true freshman could be coming into college games. I, I think this is only going to make him even scarier for teams next year. Yeah, plus a rushing touchdown, so five total touchdowns. Oh, I forgot about the rushing touchdown. Yeah, big boy. Yeah. Big, slow boy, but that's okay. <laughs> Let's look at the lawn boys, and this unit was awesome to watch. You know, we saw Kevon Lee in bits of the season, but never really got it going. Devin Ford's no longer part of the team. Noah Kane had transferred to LSU, and so there was a lot of different things uh, going on, but one of the great things going on is that we have the two – best young running backs in the conference, maybe two of the best running backs in the country, period. We had Saquon Jr., 149 carriers, 941 yards, 10 touchdowns. I think he's going to get the 1,000 yards after the bowl game is all said and done. That's 6.3 yards a carry, Caleb. Yeah, less than 59 yards without getting injured in the bowl game would be a pretty big disappointment, I think, for Singleton. I would agree. Katron Allen, 156 carries, 830 yards, nine touchdowns, 5.3 yards per carry. I would take either of these guys last season and the year before. The fact that we have both of them and they are both involved in the offense as key contributors, I mean, this is this is Mike Yursich coordinating an offense effectively. This is Juwan Sider making sure that the running backs are getting the touches they need to be effective and getting into rhythms. It's it's great. And, and we know that they're able to get into rhythms by the fact that they're the only two, except for Sean Clifford, that have over 100 yards rushing this season on the team. Yeah, as much as we like some of those guys you listed that are either no longer on the team or didn't play that much this year due to injury or whatever the concerns may be, I think it works out for the best. They basically have split the number of carries. Al with just seven more carries than Singleton on the year. Singleton with more big carries, so that's why he's got the extra yard per carry average on the season. But I think if you gave, so they have basically 300 carries between them. If you had split that three or four ways, I don't think you'd see quite the success. Not just because you're giving it to an inferior back in someone like Devin Ford or, or Noah Kane or some, whoever it may be. But I just think, like you said, the rhythm that they got into because they were able to play more snaps on the season, yeah. I just think it would have been worse for the offense in, in the rushing standard capacity. Yeah. In the world of pass catching, I really thought we were going to have a 1,000-yard receiver. So I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. But you know, we still, had, we still had a lot of really solid pass catchers. Like I would not say wide receivers – were a problem this year. I would say nope. our problem this year was a quarterback that loved to overthrow 
these receivers. Uh, that said, Parker Washington had 46 receptions, so led the team in receptions and receiving yards, 611 yards, but only two touchdowns. That was a big bummer. I loved watching him score in previous years and was hoping we would see a lot of that. I personally, if I were Parker Washington, I'd probably want to come back one more year and try to get those numbers up. Mm-hmm. Because I think he, I, I still think he can oh, be special. Quarterback play this year, exactly. I, I think he could be a first round pick in the NFL if he gets some productivity to match it. And I, and like you said, Kill, better quarterback play is going to get him that productivity. Yep. Um, Tinsley was just behind 45 catches, so one fewer than Washington. 528 yards, tied for the team lead with five touchdown receptions. With Bretton Strange also had five touchdown receptions on the year. We talked about Lambert Smith. He picked it up towards the end of the season, especially once Washington started to leave. He had that touchdown pass in the Michigan State game. So that was cool to see. And then Trey Wallace was the big up-and-coming player for the season, I think. Just 17 catches on the season, but he seems to be the the next guy, I think, for Penn State right now with Omari Evans not too far behind. Yeah, they looked great. And, uh, Kel, did you know who Mitchell Tinsley's roommate was in college this year? Sean Clifford. I yeah. Did they ever say that on a broadcast? Uh, maybe uh, twice a game. Yeah, about the Cincinnati kid or whatever. Oh, <laughs> those recycled stories drove me crazy. But yeah, Mitchell Tinsley looked great. I enjoyed watching him as the as somebody that came from Western Kentucky, had a ton of success with the Hilltoppers, come right into the Penn State Nittany Lions offense and looked great there. KLS, this was a huge season of growth for him, like you said. And then, holy cow, Brenton Strange. I did not expect him to be as dynamic as he was this year, considering how much talent we had at the tight end position. But, I mean, Brenton Strange got the ball, ran hard. He was rugged. He made the spectacular catches, too. I I didn't expect it, but he was the best tight end on the roster this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Theo Johnson hurt at the beginning of the season, so that probably... Uh, sucks some stats out of him. Still four touchdowns on the season, three for Warren. He's a good blocking tight end as well. But like we said earlier, if, so that's 12 touchdowns between these three tight ends. If Strange had 10 because he was the main tight end on the season, even more so the main tight end, he definitely would have been first team uh, all Big Ten, you would think. Second team at worst. Tyler Warren was kind of like a spark plug for the offense, though. Like mm-hmm. They put him in different points. And there were a few games especially earlier in the season where we had some slow starts and it was a catch from Warren whether it was a first down or a touchdown that got the offense going so yeah they were all big contributors Didn't uh, he off- throw a pass last year he did yeah because quarterback high school quarterback was a two-point conversion maybe pass touchdown he threw yeah I don't think he threw any this year though right no I don't think he threw a pass at all this year saving it for the bowl just, game baby <laughs> just Clifford Aller Veyu and Lambert Smith that threw passes this yeah. season save it save it for the bowl game I like mm-hmm. it. offensive line this might be the best we've seen since Saquon's sophomore season because Saquon's last year that line was really struggling and then um, under Miles Sanders backfield times not super great and you know, like that that goes along with Trace McSorley's last uh, last season just really didn't look that great. Uh, I mean, he looked fine. The line did not. Mm-hmm. And then we we know what it looked like under the uh, under the three of Kane Lee Ford. So I thought they were awesome. Fashanu, like I said, 
considered to be a top left tackle. He will go in the first round next year, barring a crazy injury or him forgetting how to play football. So big stuff in store for him. Yep. Be cool to see first round offensive lineman from Penn State. I'm trying to think of who would have been the last person. Yeah, there are. We talked about it before. Like there are a lot of offensive linemen from Penn State in the in the NFL yeah. that are on good teams, like Donovan Smith for the Tampa Bay Bucks. But none of those guys. Connor McGovern on the Cowboys. Yeah, McGovern. What's his name? Uh, Bates. Yeah. Connor Bates. Yeah, the Chiefs had a guy when they won their Super Bowl, I believe. So, yeah, good, good, much improved offense this year from Penn State. Third in yards per game along among Big Ten teams. Third in points per game, nearly 36 points per game. You brought that point up early in the season, how they were scoring like this 36 points per game. I think that they only reached that point like twice last year or something like yeah. that. So fourth in passing yards, fourth in rushing yards. Like we said, third in total yards. So big improvement, I'm guessing just behind uh, Michigan and Ohio State in points and yards per game, I would think. Nothing going from the West. Yeah, nobody from the West could do much <laughs> of anything. They were awful. <laughs> not next year, I don't think. I think next year the West will be scary, but not this year. Just to wait till uh, Iowa and Kentucky play in a bowl game again. No Will Levis. A bunch of um, guys are leaving from Iowa too, I believe. So yeah. I think they're down to their third stringer in Iowa. Quarterback for the bowl game. It's going to be a oh, fun 9-6 to six game. Wow, that's a that will be a high scoring game for them, you know. Uh, let's let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball. Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson on the defensive line were tied for second on the team with four sacks. Chop Robinson led Power Five edge rushers. I think this was according to PFF with a ninety one point six pass rush grade. I mean that grade has to be unheard of for a pass rusher to have that kind of success. But we saw this success again and again. I felt like I was constantly yelling chop, chop at the TV with how quickly I would see him in the backfield making tackles for loss, stuffing runs, or getting sacks. He, Chop Robinson was great to watch this season. What an awesome transfer pickup. And if my father-in-law Joel is listening, Joel, remember, that man was on your bench. Mm-hmm. You let him sit there on your bench, man. It was yeah, great to see um, him have success. Yeah, I think I know one of Manny Diaz's great things is that he rotates in so many players. But I think if you give Chop Robinson five more snaps a game, I think he can get double-digit sacks next year. Probably. And, you know, somebody else who will likely make a huge impact on defense because they made a huge impact on it as a true freshman, Danny Dennis Sutton. He had three sacks this season. He was another player that I kept seeing in the backfield. Looked great. Nick Tarburton and um, Kaziah Izzard both had two sacks. So the sacks were, were spread across the line. Early in the season, they seemed to like have a little bit of, of trouble outside of Chop Robinson at making plays. But as the season moved on, and, and honestly, once they started putting Danny Dennis Sutton in more, uh, we started to see that unit get back to its usual dominating force of nature. Mm-hmm. But... Isaac and Robinson were tied for second with sacks because Abdul Carter led the team six and a half sacks on the season. So like you said, no no double-digit sack guys this year. We've had that for the past couple of seasons, but it's cool, very cool to see the emergence of Abdul Carter, like we mentioned many times, and very worthy of the number 11 jersey. And how and how much of it being six and a half and not double-digit sacks is a result of it taking a while for the team to finally realize, 
hey, you know what? Let's put uh, Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter out at the same time. Let's put mm-hmm. both of our best linebackers out there every game, every snap. Instead yeah, of not Jonathan Sutherland. Yeah, please, no more Jonathan Sutherland. I mean, he's gone now, so mm-hmm. well, he'll be gone after the bowl games. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great cool special teams see... contributor, but yeah. Don't put him on the defense. Yeah, this was supposed to be our weak point of the season, but Abdul Carter emerged. Curtis Jacobs, Kobe King, Tyler Elsden, they finished third, fourth, and fifth in sacks on the team, or not sacks, tackles on the team. So definitely a bright future ahead between those four guys. Tyler Elsden, he just looks like he's like 2,000 Penn State with that, with that neck roll back behind. Yeah, with his. the neck roll. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I'm just like, you, you look like you should be playing about 20 years ago, but yeah, yeah he's a very good player as well, I think. Yeah, I was actually just about to say, I'd say between these four, you know, we know what we're getting out of Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. Uh, Tyler Elsden has a lot of big potential, too, in terms of, like, his speed. Uh, I would definitely keep a close eye on him next year, too. I think we're going to see some great stuff out of him. Kobe King is probably the most improved player in the front seven this, this year, I would say. Um, from where he started this year being kind of a liability to really being a solid contributor on a consistent basis. Uh, Defensive backs, Jair Brown led the team in tackles and interceptions with three picks. It surprised me that it wasn't uh, Zaki Wheatley leading the team with how much of a turnover monster he was the first two games, but Mm Zaki Wheatley still made some good games. Still made some good plays. He got two interceptions of his own. Kalen King got two interceptions. Johnny Dixon got two interceptions. And so uh, a lot of big gets there. Joey Porter Jr. was on his way to an award-winning season. Uh, Unfortunately, got appendicitis and missed some games at the end. But make no mistake, Joey Porter Jr. was our best defensive back this season. Yeah, he he was way up there in pass breakups uh, through the first nine or ten games of the season. So... Not sure exactly where he finished, but don't let the lack of interceptions deceive you. Joey Porter had a great year. Yeah, there's a reason why there was no interceptions. Quarterbacks were not throwing to him. Like mm-hmm. Whenever you watch the Ohio State game and you saw uh, JPJ out there against like Marvin Harrison Jr. And so, you know everybody was saying, watch out for Marvin Harrison Jr. He's a big play threat. It wasn't when Joey Porter, Porter Jr. was covering him. It was whenever, like, a Johnny Dixon was on him. Mm-hmm. Like, even Kalen King. You know, Kalen King is going to be a – like, he won't be a Joey Porter Jr., but he will be, I think, like an Omani Maria Oruwarie in terms of mm-hmm. how effective he can be, which is very good, very talented. So I am I'm excited about where the defensive backs are going to be next season as well. Um, I think they also led the Big Ten. They might have led the – yeah, I think they might have led the country too in past breakups, and it wasn't even close. Um, that being said, whenever you look at the like actual statistics, it doesn't look like we had a great defense, but I, will look, I would put this defense right up there with any other one in college football. I thought they were elite. Uh, seventh in the Big Ten in yards per game at 317.9. Fifth in points per game at 18 points. Uh, a lot of that's going to be garbage time issues. And like the two games of Ohio State where we were dueling back and forth. And for a while that defense was winning the game for us. It's also going to be the Michigan game where uh, we played them top in the first half and then got our doors blown off by that run attack. 
So, you know, two playoff teams that wrecked us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like even the points per game, I if if we were to take it from the drives that started in the opponent's territory, that numbers I, I can almost guarantee has to be less than 10 points a game. The defense was put in a lot of really crappy situations where the offense was either turning the ball over or was punting after like several three and outs. And so the defense was gassed. Just, uh, again, this defense was elite. And like, I wish like these sort of statistics would have recognized that, but we'll remember them. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. Although fifth in the conference in points per game, I believe we were 10th in the nation in points per game. So obviously a very good year for defenses in the Big Ten slash bad offenses in the Big Ten list. Yeah, and you know we're ninth in the Big Ten with pass yards, fifth uh, for rush yards per game allowed. So you know, we'll take it. Yep. Special teams, um, Caleb? Special teams, yeah. Pinnegar, 52 of 54 in extra points. That doesn't seem too bad. Although he I think that's his career. That might be his career high. Yep. And 75% on field goals, which isn't terrible. 12 for 16, so he didn't kick very many. The problem was one for three on 30 to 39 yard kicks. He missed an under 30 yard field goal this season, the 27 yard of the last game of the season. You'll take four for five on 40 to 49 and two for two on 50 plus. But I think if you had told me he was 75% and these numbers were kind of reversed, you know, a couple misses on 50 plus one or two more on 40 plus like and then he made all of his under 40 i think we'd be okay with this season but it's the yes. fact that he missed so many short ones yeah that and, and you're right that is the issue is that he missed short ones in college you know i think a lot of people take for granted that kickers can hit the 50 yarders but in college like if if you miss those you miss those mm-hmm. it's those ones and you know we we've not to beat a dead horse but We've said it before too. There were several missed field goals that, thanks to penalties, were yep. avoided, and so mm-hmm. uh, they were able to, you know, get around those problems, or yeah. they were able to wonder, get around those shortcomings and yeah. use our fourth down back, Nick Singleton, to score instead. Exactly. I wonder if, if we had, you know, Sam Ficken, good Sam Ficken, if this would have been more like twenty to twenty-five field goal attempts because we would have trusted the kicker more on fourth down instead of going for it. Because we did go for it quite a bit, I think, on fourth down, especially in games when uh, Pinnegar missed an early field goal. Yeah, had to. Uh, Sahedak, not really much kicking. One for one on extra points, one for two on field goals. He made his one between 20 and 29 yards, but missed his 50-yard plus one. And so uh, it, it is what it is. Barney Amore, 50 punts, 44-yard uh, average about. Looked pretty good for the most part. It wouldn't be uncommon for, you know, every other game him to have a, a little bit of a shanked punt, but he would make up for it on the punt after. So I'm not, not mad about it. He's no Jordan Stout front of the show, but he was definitely a quality punter for us. Yep. Coaching-wise, big kudos to Phil Troutwine. This was a guy that, you know, I wanted fired. Clearly... You know, maybe he read some books on coaching or and learned some things because this offensive line saw huge growth. And uh, I am excited to see what this unit is going to do under another year of his tutelage. Manny Diaz, so far the coaching carousel is keeping him in Happy Valley. I would love it if we could keep him for one more year because no doubt about it, 
he is the best assistant coach in college football. He is unlike so many other coordinators that we have seen in Penn State under the James Franklin era. Manny Diaz looks at what the other team is giving him and makes adjustments to stop them mm-hmm. and to be able to do his thing. Being able to read the other team, make the necessary adjustments, I mean, it, you, you just like can't undersell that. It's it, You need it so much, and Diaz brought it this year. So I am thankful for it, Caleb. Yeah, you think uh, Miami, the way they finished the season, might want Manny Diaz back? Well, they can't have I mean, him. I'm sure... Sure, they're going to give uh, Cristobal at least one more year, but uh, he's got to turn things around the way that season ended. Yeah, well, as you know, Miami is going to be back next year, right? To them, Texas A&M, mm-hmm. Nebraska, now that they have that rule. Texas. Yeah. I mean, Texas, Texas won eight games, one, but... so. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, team MVPs, Caleb. You know, we usually, like, I noticed we didn't do that this year, and, and maybe we'll do it again next year where we would do game MVPs. Yeah, weekly, yep. But uh, just as I reflect on this season, there were so many different players I was trying to think of about who to go with for MVPs. And I wanted to think of somebody that like made big contributions in ways that really catapulted the team forward. And it wasn't one person. It was two. It was, it was our running backs, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, you know, Nick Singleton provided the big hit spark. Allen had incredible ball carrier vision and led to a lot of big, big plays and key drives between these two boys. You know, I, I jokingly referred to Nick Singleton as our fourth down back. He's also an electric kick returner. Katron Allen, if you need two yards, I mean, like I expect Katron Allen to bury the first guy that he hits. So, like, they are freshmen that played like seniors, and uh, I think this team is totally different without them. So, uh, I'm giving it, I'm making them my co MVPs, like the Peyton Manning, Brett Favre experience in the NFL. Caleb, how about you? As you look at the season, who is a player or, or players that you're thinking like this team without this player? Is not the same. Yeah, I went to the defensive side. I went with Joey Porter Jr. I almost went him. Yeah. yeah. I think, I know we said we like how our linebackers matured over the year. And I think part of that is because Joey Porter was back there, you know, canceling out every pass thrown his way. Jair Brown at the safety position lost his sparring partner back there. Uh, took a little bit for PJ Mustafer to get going. On the detail and to anchor that defensive line along with side Chop Robinson. So I think Joey Porter Jr. being back there, being the con- constant, at least for the first nine, 10 games of the season, I think really helped uh, stabilize the defense at the beginning and allow them to grow throughout the season. Yeah, I like that. It, it's always helpful whenever your opponent can't throw to their number one receiver because you have that corner. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. So now let's look ahead. We got a bowl game January 2nd. I really wish that this game could have been on the first. That way I could stay up really late before work the next day, but uh, that's okay. Mm-hmm. This is the last, tr- I'm not, yeah, the last, I'm going to say the last true Rose Bowl. Last time yep. we're going to see the Pac 12 Big Ten matchup, uh, at least in this capacity with the automatic qualifiers or whatever, as Penn State takes on number eight. Eight Utah. We swapped places in the college football rankings with Utah. They're now number eight. We are now number eleven. I mean, 
I saw an early money line had Penn State as a one and a half point favorite, but like I don't I view us as the underdogs in this game with how well Utah is coached. Like they're a team can we win the game? Yes. Am I nervous about it? Most definitely. Utah has a has a tight end that is borderline unstoppable. Cam rising, if he plays like he does in his good days, uh, we are in for a world of hurt. Yeah, this should be a really fun matchup. I know there was some confusion with that early line. I saw Utah as the one-and-a-half-point favorite, but some people are reporting Penn State as the one-and-a-half-point favorite. Maybe it just depends on what sports book you were looking at. But yeah, I'm excited for this matchup. It should be a really good one. Um, Utah obviously won the Pac-12. This is going to be by far the third best team we're going to play this season after Michigan and Ohio State. So it really, there's been a a lot of conversation that I've heard about Penn State to, you know, did they deserve to fall from 8 to 11, 10 and 2 on the season? They fell behind some teams with three losses just because they won their conference championship games. Penn State obviously did not play in theirs. And it's because Penn State didn't play any other ranked teams this season. It's not their fault that the Big Ten was down this year outside of Ohio State and Michigan. It's not their fault. Auburn was terrible this year. You know, you schedule an SEC opponent on the road. You expect that to be a very tough game. And Penn State cruised. And then that's the other thing. Penn State, even though they didn't play any other tough opponents outside those two that made the playoffs this year, they beat almost all of them by double digits. The only, the, the lone exception was Purdue when Purdue made the Big Ten championship game. So and our backup Purdue, quarterback got to play in nine games because of how yep. decisively we beat these teams. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, they weren't all Central Michigan. You know, they we we played. You know, Michigan State was a top ten team last year. Purdue made the Big Ten championship game because of a flawed division system, sure, but they were still. Uh, uh, an eight-win team on the season. Maryland, you know, if they were in the West, they might have made the playoff, uh, the Big Ten championship. You know, we it's not our fault Big Ten was down this year, and we won out. We didn't beat these teams by a field goal or a touchdown. We beat them all by double digits, except Purdue. Yeah, and that's what you want to see. If, you, if you're if you stuck playing bad opponents, you want to beat them in, in big ways, which we did. Yep. Uh, that being we didn't said, lose to like, South I'm, Carolina. We didn't lose no, go to... Ahead. What did UCLA do? They lost to like Arizona State or something. You know, we didn't have this bad loss on our resume, so. Yeah, and, you know, at the at the end of it all, too, like, if you're not in the playoffs, I'm not, like, as concerned about the rankings. I'd like for us to be top 10, but I think mm-hmm. we can get there. Like, yeah, I if we definitely... win, we're going to be top 10. That's the, yeah. the only thing that matters, really, I guess. And this is a very winnable game. Like, you know, I'm talking about how I feel like we're the underdog, that being said, I also think if we play like we're the underdog, we are going like we see ourselves as the underdogs and everybody's counting us out. I think we're going to win this game easily. You know, th- we have seen Utah crumble in some of these games. We've seen Cam Rising not yeah, look great in like some of these games. Interception games in this season, so right. So, and we have the defense to produce that type of a game out of him. The question is, how are we going to play? Then we got a lot of time to get ready for him. We've got an awesome Rose Bowl parade coming up. And, uh, you know, got a lot of big things in store. So just need the Penn State players to maybe lay off the Christmas cookies, save those for the fans, and uh, come in ready to to crush the Utes. And uh, I'm excited for it, Caleb. I mean, 
you know, the the granddaddy of them all doesn't have the reputation it used to. But that being said, it's still a special game, and I would like to get a Rose Bowl shirt from a Rose Bowl that we like actually win. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll take the under on the what was it fifty two forty nine against USC six years ago. Yeah, I will take, take under on that. Hard under on that. <laughs> Hardcore under. All right, final rankings, like you said, number 11 in the college football playoff, seven in the coaches' poll, remained number seven there, and fell a couple spots to number nine in the AP poll. So right around top 10 on the season, depending on what poll you're looking at. And, yeah, a win. You're going to pass Utah, obviously. You're going to pass a couple other teams easily as well because they're playing each other in other big New Year's Six Bowls. So a win, and you're probably top eight on the season. Yeah, you got to think that. All right, move on on to the final who you got of the regular season. It's clinched, man. Yep. You did have the better week last week, 9-4 and four to 8-5 and five for me, but not enough. <laughs> you finished with – I guess not finished because we got one more game to pick. You have 81 wins. I have 85. Thank you, thank you. On the season – but obviously one game is not enough for you to catch up, but maybe like we've done every other season, I think maybe you'll beat me in Bowl Mania. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Uh, I just I can't help but feel like I I was telling uh I was telling somebody I was thinking of somebody I was working with. I feel like I know nothing about college football this year with, with a lot of these teams. There's been so much chaos. I love it, but it's it's doesn't help me in my picks. We got a great game this weekend, though. A lot of history behind this one. It's the Army-Navy game. Uh, Army's coming in as a one-and-a-half-point favorite in Philadelphia. Air Force already won the Commander-in-Chief trophy, so that one's out of the picture. But this should still be a good game. My dad, we used to have a lieutenant colonel at our church growing up who had awesome tickets to this game and uh, took my dad to the game one year. And I remember my dad really enjoying it, so... I have fond memories of, or fond memories of the stories behind this game, and and obviously it has some great heritage to it. This is the last regular season game we're going to pick. So Caleb, let me ask you, who you got? Um, I'm going with Navy. They had the big upset against UCF a couple weeks ago. I think they ride that momentum to a tight victory here in this game. Phil, I'll say who you got, and also over under two pass attempts in this game. <sighs> See, if you would have said two and a half, I would have said under because I would have said two. Uh, yeah, I'll say for the push. Was, yeah, but I don't do a push. That's so boring. I'll say over. We'll do three. I want to pick Army in this game. I have family that is that's been an Army before. They've looked good in some different games this season where they've gone really crazy and they've attempted two passes and uh, they've gotten some good things out. So definitely a lot of stuff in store for them. Yep. I actually learned something partially because of Army. Partially, I think there's another team that fit this criteria. Army, if they win this game, would have six wins on the year, but they're not bowl eligible because two of their wins are FCS wins. You can only have one FCS win that counts to your win uh, every season, apparently. So that's why Army, even if they win this game, will not be in a bowl game. Gotcha. If you were were curious. I was curious. That's good to know. That's that's Mm -hmm. interesting. All right. Well, uh, Caleb, correct me if I'm wrong. Next week, we are picking our bowls, right? Oh, yeah. Bowl mania. Best pick of the year. Yeah, it is without a doubt the best one. We're going to pick every single bowl game. This is an episode that 
I look forward to all season. Caleb and I have a lot of fun uh, picking these games, analyzing the teams, and as I've already said, this is the most chaotic year we've seen in college football since we've been hosting this podcast. I want to thank you for tuning into the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. We're just a couple of buddies that love talking college football, and rather than bothering our wives talking about it, we host a podcast where we talk about it instead. We're not professional, we're amateurs, but we love what we do. So if you enjoy what you hear, we hope you'll subscribe to the show and get notifications anytime new episodes come out. Also, if you could drop us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, that's a really easy way for us to be able to share our podcast out with others. Connect with us on social media, specifically Twitter, at CPFB Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Caleb, any final words of wisdom before we sign off? Go Penn State. We are. <laughs>